Hello, and welcome to a very special Talking Tropes. Yes, um, today we're talking about weddings, guys. David. It's my special day. <laughs> yes, David. What's your What's your dream wedding, David? I, I want to get married uh, on the moon. Yes. And also, I want to eat the moon. And also, I want the moon to be uh, my wedding ring. And I want the moon. I want it. You, you want, well, lucky for you, you're marrying Jimmy Stewart. So um, that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jimmy, guys, Jimmy. Guys, it's, 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 we're in September now. You know, the summer has passed. Um, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm at the point in my life where, like, Every single person I know is like either having a wedding or getting engaged. Like I, I'm, I'm like honestly not even exaggerating when I'd say that at least two people every single week this summer got engaged on my Facebook timeline. Like that is, oh my god, that is the stage <laughs> of life that I'm in. Um, so you know, like weddings have been on on my mind, and like there are tons and tons of tropes that that go along with that. You know, um, yeah, but none are so destructive, so <laughs> cataclysmic as the bridezilla. Yeah, this is this is a complicated one. This is a tough one. This is it's a big one, guys. Like you know, I, it's I feel like Godzilla sized. It's it's a Godzilla sized trope. Um, yeah, and like you know, like there are references to to this sort of character archetype in like so many forms of media um both both fictional and non-fictional and and I kind of want to start off by talking about like the non-fictional reality of the bridezilla for like a hot second right cuz this is one of those tropes that really bleeds over into real life in in a serious way um, right and, like, and for that reason we're going to be talking about a lot of reality tv today and a lot of yes. just real life stories yeah, like like it's an interesting trope because, you know, like there are a lot of tropes that are are loosely based in reality with like um you know, like the goofy best friend or whatever. But like, you know, that's always sort of segmenting out someone's life, but like like there are people who do legitimately act in baffling ways around their wedding. Um and like specifically women, like if you if you go to like uh, any like Reddit thread about like bridezilla or like wedding horror stories, like there there are just like thousands of these, and and it's just like absolutely baffling that there are people who like act like this, you know? Like, right. like it feels I think it's, fake. I think it's interesting also just because this one is so specifically about uh you know heteronormative white weddings um you know not white the race but white the style of wedding where you yeah. know the bride wears white um because it, it it's a function of the society that we live in the all of the the stakes that are given to the wedding day right did you watch did you watch a lot of reality TV for this one? I watched so much reality TV. Like, I have never watched more reality TV in my entire life. Like, 
there are just days dedicated to like bridezillas. It's that good trash. I, I mean, this is this was really like essential uh, <laughs> essential material for anybody who is a fan of uh, reality TV. Yeah, too bad I'm not a I, fan. It's it's this it's this heavily edited um, to to make these. <laughs> <laughs> to make these brides look as monstrous as possible, uh, even if they are, you know, totally reasonable or just, you know, getting frustrated right. you know, th- to, to, to try and blow them up into monstrosities. And I, well, I found that really interesting. Yes, it's it's really interesting, though, because I feel like there are different levels of it, you know, like like I think oh, the sure. biggest the biggest offender is, of course, Bridezilla's the show. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, but Bridezilla's is in its 12th season uh, yes. of just examining women who get angry during yep. their wedding preparations. Yep. Which is everyone. I mean, it's a frustrating time. <laughs> right, The men exactly. get frustrated too, but they're not called groomzillas. Bridezillas is interesting because, like, they do that. They they do occasionally have, like, a groomzilla, uh, right. like, episode. Or, um, like, they've been a, had a couple of, like, gayzillas. Because like, everyone has, like, a different hashtag on Bridezillas um, for easy right, tweeting, exactly. I guess. Um, so like one is like secret Zilla or sibling Zilla or like, I don't know, just weird shit like that. Yeah. Sibling Zilla um, from when you marry your sibling <laughs> <laughs> or like, I that? don't know. It's like you, you're like d- destroying your relationships with your siblings because you're such right. a bridezilla or something like that. Um, and one was a secret Zilla because she was hiding the fact that she was actually marrying a woman instead of a man uh, from her family and was going to absurd lengths to sort of surprise them on the wedding day with the fact that she was marrying a woman because they were really religious, which seems crazy. But also it's like that I found it's like a function of our our stereotypes about what uh, a, a bridezilla was. I thought that was actually kind of an interesting thing for the, the show to cover um, because sure, like our assumption is that if you've got a bridezilla, it's it's due to the, the heteronormative dynamic of, you know, one of them is you know has the money is like paying for the wedding and the other one is trying to go over the top exorbitant spending all this money on on unnecessary you know class signifiers yeah uh, like you know big glass sculptures and ice (laughs) sculptures and decorative wedding things right (sighs) i've never planned a wedding (laughs) (laughs) have you been to one (laughs) i've been to like Two. <laughs> One of them was in the woods. Um, so, yeah, I don't really get the whole glamorous wedding day spending, you know, $20,000 on it. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Like, I would say I would say a lot of the problems that the brides on Bridezilla's tend to have, which I think makes it easier to just, like, point and laugh and go, ha, 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 what an absurd lady um are like they're very entitled you know there's a sense of entitlement that right that makes it fun to watch them 
be horrible, basically. Um, but then on some of these other shows, it's like, like they try to make someone out to be a bridezilla. Like, like there's this British show that's on Netflix called like Diva right. Brides. Um, yeah, Diva Brides is is bad. It's not a good show. No one should watch it. Like, there's absolutely no divas in it. Exactly. It's divaless. Exactly. There's like there were maybe like one tops two actual like entitled the diva people on the entire like I watched like at least a season and a half of this show. Um Right. Because I just kept waiting for there to be an actual diva, but really it's all just like stressed out people trying to have their quote unquote dream wedding, but they have small budgets or like they're exactly. really indecisive or like the person they're marrying isn't pulling their weight in like they're not able to trust them with responsibilities and like right i mean here's the thing about about weddings is it's yeah. it's it's incredibly expensive and there's a lot of unpaid labor going into it so oh, yeah. for example like you know your maid of honor uh has a lot to do there was one particular uh bridezilla episode where the maid of honor kept being expected to like cook dishes but she like didn't have time to cook them because she was doing other things right. and so the the bride was like you got to cook a dish you got to cook a dish you got to bring it to the dinner otherwise we're not going to have any fucking food um, right <laughs> and so you know she brings a salad and then the bride just starts taking handfuls of salad and throwing it in her face oh my god like you eat the fucking salad um yeah. which i uh, found really funny <laughs> And uh, and actually, kind of understandable. Like, yeah, who the fuck you? We asked you to bring a hot dish, and you brought a bowl of salad. You piece of shit. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> oh, David, you're really gonna you you're gonna throw us all off the moon if we can't get on the moon. <laughs> get for your off wedding. Of my moon. <laughs> you can't be in my moon wedding. Right. You won't but fit I mean, in the like, spaceship. but that's the thing, right? Is like it's the unpaid labor of it all. You know, the yeah. husband also has to has to do a lot of work. Uh, you but know, so the, does the bride. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like the bride yeah. and the groom have to do a lot of work that's completely unpaid, and then also there are these expensive contractors who are brought in um, to perform all of this paid labor. And if that's not done well, then you demand a refund, you know, if it's not to your specifications. Right. And, but you can't, like, ask for a refund from your maid of honor. <laughs> right. For all the nights she spent, like, gluing seashells onto shit or right. whatever other crazy task there was. Exactly. Um, there was There were also some, like, very gendered conflicts I saw pop up. Um, like, there was one episode, I, I believe it was a season 12 opener, where there's um, a bride named Jaslyn who was really worried about her weight and all of her bridesmaids' weight. So it was mm -hmm. this, like, circle of body shaming that was going on. So yes. everyone was being put on a diet and an exercise regimen. And so they were all hungry and exhausted <laughs> while trying to plan this wedding. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and then it inevitably leads to this uh this line that i kept hearing over and over again which is like everyone's trying to sabotage me everyone's trying to fuck me over what do you think that's about <laughs> i it's it's the idea that the wedding is like the bride's day you know and right. like i i think especially in 
<laughs> this particular era of late capitalism when, you know, shit's getting even more expensive and like what is considered high class is is uh becoming even more unattainable for for working people. You know, this idea that like here's the one day I get to live like a Kardashian. You know, like like here's the one right. day where I get to be the princess and I get to be the celebrity. You know, like there was one bridezilla who wanted her wedding dance to go viral. You know, like she didn't even really it made it seem like she wasn't actually interested in the marriage that came after. She just wanted the wedding and the like potential fame that she could get from her wedding. Um, right. And, and, you know, like there were, there were like other people who, who, who were like just absolutely insistent that like, this is the event of the season. And, and like, there are real life stories um, that circulate on the internet where people say like, I've called off the wedding because our guests wouldn't give us $1,500 each so that I could have my dream wedding. And it's just like, yeah. where is this sense of entitlement coming from? You know? Well, I think it, I think it comes from, you know, capitalism and from the fictional representations of weddings. Right. So basically, it seems like most of the modern, uh, um, at least American uh, wedding traditions come from uh, the Gilded Age, where, you know, there was this incredible wealth inequality, and uh, people at the top were just constantly trying to, like, you know, assert their class because everything was falling apart around them, and everything was going to shit. Uh, mm -hmm. So they were copying all of these uh, aristocratic uh, wedding rituals and other rituals, you know, big lavish balls and such. Yeah. Uh, and trying to use them to assert that everything's fine and nothing's going to shit and we don't have to fix this broken system. Right. Like, it, look, <laughs> and, it's fine. Right. And so then over time, that stuff starts to trickle down to the lower class as well who start to feel like I, I'm miserable all the time and I never feel fancy. I never get to experience the stuff that I see on TV. Uh, but I can, if I just have this one day that I spend all of my money on, which right. is why the cost of the American wedding climbed from 15,000 in, uh, in 1990 to 28,000 in 2006, $28,000 yeah. per wedding mm -hmm. on average. I mean, it's, it's honestly higher than that. Now it's, it's up around like 30,000 uh, because <laughs> one of the people who got engaged this summer was my sister. And so she has been doing a lot of wedding research and that right. is the number that she has come across as like the average. And like, you know, my sister what has some things that she wants, like she might edge into bridezilla territory, but, but she saw that number and like almost fainted, you know, she was like, no, thank you. <laughs> so, so right. there's hope yet, you know? Right. I mean, part of it seems like the, the, the raising of prices comes from the fact that people are marrying later when they're more financially stable. That's, um, that's true. As opposed to marrying like right out of high school uh, or right out of college. But, yeah. um, it, it's not just that. It's also this idea, and this is uh, this comes from Beth Montemurro, uh, who's a professor of sociology at Penn State, mm -hmm. um, who talks about how when 
tight finances cause people to sacrifice in other parts of their lives, they start to feel like their wedding is the one day they shouldn't have to sacrifice anything. And right. so they indulge more. And and I think when you have Because this, I, they're poor. Right. And I, and I think once you have this idea that, like, this is my one day that I get to do everything I've ever wanted to do, one, it puts an incredible amount of pressure on this one day. Um, and two, it, it fosters that sense of entitlement, which is the stumbling block of, like, the entire enterprise, you know, where right. you feel like you're entitled to a taste of royalty and opulence. Uh but, you know, it's all an illusion. Right. So I think, like, a lot of that does come from the popular culture. And so I think it's it's interesting to, to take a look at. Um, do you want to start with the movies or the television? Let's start with the movies because I feel like they're, like, they're the thing, man. Right. Do you want to start with, um, I kind of want to start with very bad things because it's just okay. the hottest trash. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch this one. Tell me about Very Bad Things. Very Bad Things is uh, a movie where uh, John Favreau is marrying Cameron Diaz. Okay. But while he's off on his bachelor party, which apparently is a tradition that has existed since antiquity, since the 5th century BC. Oh my god, okay. Um, but while on their bachelor's jaunt, uh, <laughs> one of them accidentally murders a prostitute. What? And so then they, like, go on this spree of, like, trying to bury the person, and then they get caught, and then they have to kill somebody else. And then, of course, uh, the person who's murdering everyone is uh, your favorite murder boy, Christian Slater. Oh, of course. Who you might remember of for murdering everyone in almost every movie and television <laughs> show he's appeared in. Um, that's just uh, his thing. It's just murdering he all the people. people. It's a he's got a casting niche. Yeah, it's Heather's and it's very bad things, and I'm I'm sure half a dozen others. But yeah. um Yeah, so all of the the uh best you know, all the the groomsmen are like murdering each other to cover up this one murder. Oh my um, god! But the real crisis, the real tension, is that Cameron Diaz just wants her perfect day to be perfect, <laughs> and that's the problem. And all these murders are just sort of incidental to that, right? Because like the problem is that they have to cover it up because John Favreau's still got to get married in, and it's coming right up. And that's oh <laughs> that's like the trouble is that John Favreau's getting bitched at and by, <laughs> by by the by the bridezilla. How how, how oh, would you God. rate this bridezilla uh, on the bridezilla scale? Um. Well, she literally murders somebody so that her day can go well. <laughs> All so right. So I would I'd say, say about a ten. I would say about eleven. You know, <laughs> turn that shit up. Uh, you know, she's she also um, one of the people that she kills. Uh, well, one of the people that um, gets killed is like uh, has two kids, and John Favreau and Cameron Diaz are the godparents. Oh. So they get these two kids and a dog, and they frustrate her so much that she just at one point tells John Favreau to kill the dog. What does he do it? Uh, kind of. There's hijinks. Okay. This is a hijinks movie that's About also murder. full of 
murder and it's just like it you know it's one of those movies thing? that's like exorbitant violence for the purpose of violence and to be like we're edgy yeah but it's it's just no good um so yeah people get murdered on the actual wedding day Cameron Diaz is walking down the aisle you know with like blood splatter on her you know just bad things are happening but they do get married um and then the movie ends with her like having had her quote-unquote perfect wedding day she looks around at her life which now includes a uh, a, a husband who's uh, restricted to a wheelchair um, and a bunch of dead friends and uh, two kids that she didn't want. And she just screams and runs out into the middle of the street and collapses. And that's, and then the credits roll. Wow. What a so this was wild... written by a man. Yeah. Like oh no kidding. Gosh. Oh my god! Like, just even like all the shots of the dead prostitute are just very, you know, male gazy and just disgusting. It's it's a it's a rough film to get through, so I'm glad you didn't watch it. But there's other <laughs> good movies that include a Bridezilla. I mean, there's like two. <laughs> all right, well let's let's get to those instead. Um. All right. Man, I rewatched 27 Dresses, and I still really like this shit. movie. Such a good movie. It's, like, classic. Like, like if you wanted to teach a class about rom-coms, like, show people 27 Dresses, you know? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's iconic. I mean, It's so it, good. I mean, this is the, the writer of The Devil Wears Prada, which, you know, it's debatable whether that one is you know a, a strict rom-com or, or just you know a comedy um yeah i wouldn't call that a rom-com but it's definitely in the chick right. flick genre sure um whereas you know 27 dresses is firmly a, a rom-com and, yes. and it's solid i mean uh you know katherine heigl um that's her name right yep yep she does a good job in this She's incredibly relatable and likable and, you know, has that quirky awkwardness that you expect from a rom-com protagonist. Yeah. Um, and she's not the, the bridezilla. It's her sister. Yes. It's, it's her sister who falls in love with her boss, who she's been secretly in love with for however many years now. And the 27 dresses are that she's been a bridesmaid 27 times and has kept all of the bridesmaid dresses as mementos. Um, and so sort of the, the conceit here is that she's at in the, in the opening scene, she's in two different weddings on the same day. Um, and, uh, God, I'm trying Kevin or like something plays by James Marsden. James Marsden is like this reporter who's at one of the weddings uh, and he is such a rom-com love interest. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, it's insane how good the casting in this movie is. Their their meet cute literally consists of him like low key stalking her. So like 
Czech rom-com. But but beyond that, he's a delightful rom-com love interest. You know, like the whole idea is she loves weddings. Um, You know, like like it it actually opens with her as like an eight-year-old helping a woman solve like a crisis on her wedding day. And she's like, I found my purpose in life, helping people at weddings. Um, Right. But I mean, more importantly than that, it establishes that her her mother died when she was very young and she was forced yes. to take on a maternal role with her younger sister. Yes. Um, and so she kind of became this like people pleaser as a result of that, because she always felt the need to put other people's needs above her own. Um, and that was how she found meaning. And like, all of this is, you know, foreshadowed in, in just a very brief scene of her, like helping somebody who has a ripped wedding dress. So, so Yeah. So she's she's this people pleaser who's in love with her boss. Her hot model sister comes back to New York or whatever city it is they live in. And uh, they she meets the boss. They start a whirlwind romance. But she's like lying to him about all the things that she likes because this boss is this very like outdoorsy, crunchy kind of guy. Yeah, this uh, is she- another like rom-com trope, which is, you know, the the romance that must be destroyed because it's fake, it's false in some way. Um and, and this one, I think it's a and little people are wrong for each other. Yeah, it's a little lazy, but I I think it works. You know, uh the little sister Well, because it's not the it, it's not the main plot too you know like it's it's the distraction plot is is the right but it's heavily it's it's heavily integrated into the main plot oh yes Um, like like i think it does a great job of integrating these things because you know like for a long time you know you've got to have the two different love interests so you know there's the james marsden love interest and then there's the hot boss love interest um and you know she's gonna end up with the cynical guy who thinks weddings are stupid because they're gonna teach each other stuff that like weddings aren't the end all be all of everything but also yeah they're great and can be romantic and what have you uh so you know they all learn from each other and stuff the the casting in this i think is just so perfect you have judy greer as always as like the you know sassy best friend character Mm -hmm. um that is such her role but she does it so well that you know she's so delightful i i love judy greer um and then oddly enough Kristen ritter has like a walk-on appearance as like a goth girl that's their friend she's the goth uh secret like office manager or whatever right Uh, she's one of the 27 weddings yeah um and then there's uh the the actor who plays jonathan from 30 rock and the actress who plays jan from the office yeah in you know also very fitting roles (laughs) it's just solid casting work holy shit um very good and of course james marsden yes <laughs> come on um, james marsden look at that look at those yeah. smile dimples come on but this one might even be like the most overt like bridezilla because they actually like say the word bridezilla in the script oh um, yeah they call the sister a bridezilla but like we barely even spend enough time with her to like notice you know, like, like I wouldn't have described her as a bridezilla necessarily. Like, she's certainly inconsiderate. Like, she she cuts up the mom's wedding dress that, uh, like, the sister wanted to wear. And, you know, she, 
she she basically sort of steals her sister's dream wedding, which like well the is- the inconsiderate part was she booked the boathouse, which is where their parents got married, right? right. Like, and then that's... the only way to book it was to get it with like three weeks before the wedding, and then all of the work of the wedding planning was placed on you know um on on the main characters on lap. Catherine Heigl, yeah. Yeah, uh, on 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 the Heigl lap, <laughs> and so she has to plan this whole wedding in in three weeks, and you know they literally go to like the cake maker, uh, and they're like, "Can you have a cake in three weeks?" And he's like, "Impossible! It's but, impossible know, to make a cake of one of my masterpieces in three weeks." You she's know, brought him so much business, so he'll do it for her. Ah, uh, but only for you, mon ami. Um, I don't know. It's yeah, so I mean, it is they do sort of hint at it, but it's it's not like drawing attention to it so much until uh, Kevin publishes his commitments article about them called "Always, Always, Always a Bridesmaid" about Catherine Heigl's twenty seven dresses. Yeah, and mentions that while she's the prototypical people-pleasing bridesmaid, her sister's the prototypical bridezilla, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's quoted as saying she could be seen stomping through Manhattan, breathing fire, swatting planes from the sky. Which is just so fucking overdramatic. I I can't even deal with it. Um, But He's a writer. He's a writer, man. Those writers... Uh, but, but it's, and then it's sort of at this point that again, kind of like justifiably, the sister is really upset and you know. Yeah. I mean, everyone's upset. Yeah. yeah I think I, everyone, everyone acts in like a pretty like reasonable way for the most part. Well, not reasonable for real life, but, but understandable. for a rom-com. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it functions on rom-com logic where people will like, you know, say, I never want to see you again. And then after a brief realization, we'll go, no, wait, he's my dream man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, I don't Um, know if people usually like flip on a dime like that. But in rom-coms, everyone does. Everyone does. You know, you get call off weddings without a second thought, you know. (laughs) Oh, you're secretly not a vegetarian? Wedding canceled. Well, okay, but I do like the fact that they they made it that, you know, she she was taking advantage of his, like, big brother's little brother's partner by making him clean their apartment, which was, like, definitely pretty cringy. Yeah, that was so funny. I was (sighs) cracking up. (laughs) He's got a little brother named Pedro from the, you know, like, the big brother, little brother program, and... (laughs) She, like, her first introduction to him is to go, like, hola, Pedro. <laughs> he yells at him. When he was just speaking, like, fluent English, like, right. two sentences so earlier. We already hate her because she's a racist. And then yeah. we hate her even more because she makes him clean their apartment for, like, 10 bucks. Oh, God. So, like, you know, that comes out. And I think that's the thing where he, like, gets up and leaves. So, like, you know. Maybe calling off a wedding because you find out your your potential future spouse is, like, abusing a child in your care. Like, yeah, right. all right, fair enough. Um, but, but yeah, like, 
on the whole, it, this is a, it's a good movie. Go watch it. The Benny and the Jet scene. It's, oh yeah. It's classic. It's so good. Nobody knows the lyrics to Benny and the Jets. Not even, w- not even Elton John. I will can't say this. Me otherwise. From from like the two main uh like movies that we watched for this, Twenty Seven Dresses and Brideswards, like the two like horrible conflicts that sort of like out the other person to their partner are done through like slideshows or like projectors. Slideshows. Slideshows are a big part of weddings. And it's just, it's very strange that, like, slideshows are the thing that, like, always, like, gets them in the end. No, I I believe it, because, like, a slideshow, you know, it's, like, this big public awkward thing where everyone's, like, kind of watching but kind of not. (laughs) Yeah. And so you can just kind of slip anything in there. Uh, Something really embarrassing, and you can't take it back because it's visual instead of, you know, verbal or something. Right, like, Um, it's... An image so is worth it. a thousand words sort of thing. It was just like an interesting uh, uh, commonality that I was noticing right. between all of these. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think, don't know. So as we transition into Bride Wars, I think oh boy. the key difference besides just, you know, one being classier than the other is that 27 Dresses has, you know, a, a woman screenwriter, a woman director, producer, etc. And Bride Wars is like... <laughs> like a male screenwriter uh, yeah but like doesn't really understand why women care so much about weddings here's why do they here, care uh, who who knows um <laughs> before we go into bride wars i just want to yeah. say like this movie could like i'm gonna say with like five edits so easily turn into a lesbian rom-com bride like, wars Bride Wars, like it's it's like so close, like it could be there, but right. It's it opens so with straight. two little girls pretending to get married, and one of them is the groom. Yeah, and it's like just, just like, wearing like a little child suit, uh, and it somehow so... only gets gayer from there. But like, it's also so clearly not intended to be that way. That it, it's just a wild that this was like the end result that that they got. Um, well, I think it's I think the reason that it's so gay is because the the men are such trash in it. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. They like you cannot like unlike in uh, Twenty Seven Dresses where all the men are snacks, you know, upon snacks. Yeah. Uh huh. In Bride Wars, they're like pre-buff Chris Pratt and like. <laughs> I don't know, some other guy who I don't even... generic dude. Just generic dude. And they never say anything romantic or interesting. I don't know. I'll, I'll say the the one guy, uh, the, like, the guy who actually ends up getting married at the end, uh, like, like he was fine, you know? Like, no, no complaints. They're all fine, but, like, th- like, they're all fine, but in 27 Dresses, the men are fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah, capital are F, fine. fine. <laughs> James um, Marsden. Yeah, God so this one, this one is about Anne Hathaway and Kate Hudson fighting over having the same wedding um, because of a clerical error. And yeah, it's all it's all clerical errors. It's like, come on, that's such a cliche. 
uh, you know, uh, we misprinted and now you have to do this on the same day. Stupid. Yeah. It's very dumb. But, like, then, additionally, the only reason the conflict continues from there is because, for some reason, the woman that they accost at the, you know, wedding store is, is like, no, I won't switch days with you. Right. No matter how much you pay me. Yeah. Like, they, they would probably pay for your wedding to switch days. I mean, right. these are, like... This is like a wealthy lawyer person, and they both really care about this. It's like, you know, come on. It's it's pretty dumb. Um, but everyone you know, is inconsiderate and refuses to move. An inch. Yeah, basically. Uh, so you know, <laughs> it it starts out with the Kate Hudson is like the hardworking lawyer who you know very competitive. Who I guess her parents died when she was young or something. Uh, Irrelevant. It's, it's it's really not explained very well in the movie, and it's supposed to be like a big motivating factor, but like it's just so but underdeveloped. You don't see that exactly uh, again. Unlike Twenty Seven Dresses, wherein you know the the motivation of the the father figure and and the absent mother figure are incredibly important to the, the relationship between these two sisters. Yeah. In this one, it's like your parents are dead, which makes you a bitch. Which. Uh, Right. Well, doesn't track. Also, doesn't follow. Twenty Seven Dresses is narrated by uh, Catherine Heigl herself. You know, like she has the opening and the closing narration. Um, and then in Bride Wars, it's narrated by like the wedding planner who just sort of like pops in randomly throughout the film, right. and it's very strange and awful. Why am I invested in this? Right. I, I don't. No know. one really knows. Uh, but so, you know, the competitive one, Kate Hudson, finds a, a wedding ring in her, like, boyfriend's, uh, like, sweater or whatever, and so it's so exciting, she's gonna get engaged, she's already telling people, even though he hasn't proposed yet, uh, and then, like, that night, just by happenstance, uh, Anne Hathaway's boyfriend, Chris Pratt, like, casually proposes to her with a fortune cookie on the couch, and, like, I don't know, it could have been cute. It was, like, almost cute. Anything could be, I suppose. Like, I mean, the fortune cookie idea, but then, like, he didn't really follow it through with, like, a good speech or anything, which is, like, our first red flag that, like, this Chris Pratt boyfriend is bad. Right, well, like, this is, this is like, the doomed relationship, because every, yeah. like I said, every rom-com has a doomed relationship, and in this one, the reason that it's doomed is because Chris Pratt likes Chinese food and watching Netflix before no, Netflix he likes, was invented. He likes controlling his girlfriend. That's why it's doomed. But also, Wait, when does he control his girlfriend? When does he control Anne Hathaway? Exactly. It doesn't happen until like the last act of the movie where he's suddenly, it's like the two days before the wedding or something. And he's like, you're acting all crazy and different and like assertive. And she's and like, this like is it. me. When I'm fucked up, that's the real me. <laughs> like, that's well, basically what it's saying. That, that's what she was saying. But, like, you know, part of part of the lesson, quote-unquote, that the, the two friends need to learn is that, you know, one is, is, again, a people pleaser and the other one's very demanding. And they both learn that sometimes you need to think about other people and other times you need to be assertive. 
And that's that's their character growth over the film. And Chris Pratt doesn't like the fact that she had any character growth or sometimes does things like make out with boys on spring break 10 years ago because it's bad. And he I, didn't yeah, say okay. I just okay. don't get it. It's, I don't get why their relationship is doomed. I mean, it's but not... But it is. It's clear that that's yeah. what I'm supposed to take away from the, you know, the, the fortune cookie proposal is that, like, this is a doomed relationship because of the fortune cookie proposal. Because what he says is, like, I just want to stay like this forever, etc. Like, I never want to change. I don't, I don't buy it. supposed uh, to be about you know, change. You changed. Anne Hathaway missed person. out. You know, Chris Pratt would have gotten super buff if she just waited a couple <laughs> years. Um, yeah, so anyway, their, their relationship is doomed. So, so that happens, and technically she gets engaged before her friend, uh, and so she sets up a, they, they both had this dream wedding at the plaza planned since they were little kids, uh, which is, which is the wedding that they keep acting out, where Anne Hathaway's the groom, and, uh, what's her face? Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Is, (laughs) she's the bride. Um, right. I mean, yeah, like, let's skip know. ahead. They they both get engaged and they start planning these weddings, but then they're increasingly inconsiderate to one another because Anne Hathaway feels inadequate because she's always, you know, been the groom and not the bride. Uh, and Kate Hudson feels attacked because, you know, she's being, you know, abandoned by her best friend. Yeah. Or whatever, so then, and she's, like, afraid of being alone or, or something. So then the rest of the movie is basically just a prank war with a bunch of, like, wedding planning thrown in. Yeah, uh, it's very, and, and you pointed this out, it's it's very Pink Fat Liar. Yeah, they um, literally turn each other orange and, like, turn someone's hair blue, which is literally what right. happens in Big Fat Liar. And, like, you know, one sends, like, snacks to the other one's office so that she's, like, too fat to fit in her wedding dress. Um, yeah, that's that's Mean Girls, right? Did this come out before Mean Girls? Well after I, Mean Girls. I think after. I think Mean Girls was, like, 2008, and this was, like, I don't know, 2013, 2014, something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just going to look it up real quick. Mean Girls, 2004. Bride Wars, 2009. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, this, this is a post-Mean Girls world we're living in. Yeah. Um, God help us all. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's the classic sort of thing where like the husband has literally no say in the wedding. His job is just to pay for it and like make sure that like he shows up and supports the bride. And then like that's also why Anne Hathaway's relationship is doomed is because uh, Kate Hudson's husband is supportive of her when she cries about not fitting into her wedding dress. But Chris Pratt is like, you're being annoying. Shut up about all this wedding stuff. Right. Blah. I mean, this, I think, is the key difference between 27 Dresses and Bride's Wars, right? It's like 27 Dresses is about cutting through the overhypeness of weddings to get to the true, you know, like once you cut away all the cynical bullshit, what, what's the core of what makes a wedding work or not work? Right. And then Bride and- Wars is about how women are competitive and irrational. Yes. And how they make me upset as a male screenwriter. <laughs> oh, there's. St- I hated getting married, so here's my dumb movie about it. 
Um, right. It's, you know, like it's just all the stereotypes. It's like women like Vera Wang and chocolate, you know, yeah, right. Like, these are the things they care about. You know, they're they're uh, shallow. You know, they only care about looking good and having the best, best thing. And it's it's never about like what the husband wants. Mm-hmm. Like literally, I don't think they even make the point. It's not about what the husband wants. I think it's just like it literally never comes up, you know, like sure. no one asks the the grooms anything. You know, it's always like did the girls decide this or not, you know? And like, they're competitive about, um, like, like w- even within each other and with their wedding planner, like who the wedding planner views is like the best bride. Uh, you know, cause right. like one of them makes a comment that like, Oh, well I, I don't need ice sculptures or like a crazy cake. Like it's, it's just about like the love of the wedding, which is entire lip service. Cause like the whole point is that she wanted to get married at this specific place and nowhere else would do. Um, right. And but, it, it didn't know, like really have anything to do with like, you know, in 27 dresses, the very specific wedding location and everything has to do with family tradition and legacy and paying homage to, you know, people who are past and then for this one it's just about like it's just the single most expensive most exclusive difficult to get into place in the city right right like they saw a wedding there once as children and so they've fantasized about it and built it into this like meaning that doesn't actually exist um and so yeah so then at the very end their weddings are taking place on the same day and then they like they both by the end of the movie are like oh wait we were stupid we love our friends i just want to reconnect but they keep like missing each other in like the dumbest ways most contrived ways possible uh and so you know they it's a lot of contrived bullshit right and so the kate hudson tries to cancel the the wedding montage sabotage that she had planned but then like her like bitchy uh maid of honor dude like sabotages that and so uh you get Anne Hathaway hanging out at spring break being all crazy broadcast into the room for her wedding as she's walking down the aisle uh, and she freaks and out. And that's the last straw. It's the last straw. And she physically runs across the the venue, breaks into the other wedding, and uh, physically attacks Cat Kate fighting Hudson. ensues. Cat fighting. Cat fight. It's every male uh, screenwriter's favorite thing to just put in there. Yeah, and everyone's like, no, just let them fight. <laughs> <laughs> let them fight. Let them let them get it out of there. I don't know. So so they fight and then they fall to the ground and like they both look half naked while they're laying there next to each other, all exhausted. And I'm like, where's the lesbian rewrite to this movie? Where's please? the lesbian rewrite? Where they realize the reason they were mad about each other's weddings is that they just wanted to marry each other and that like that's what right. all of this is but alas it's not what we get because shoehorn- really it's just that Anne Hathaway doesn't want to marry Chris Pratt and so she's like calls it off and he's yeah like, what this was not set up very well and she's it, like I know neither was-, was I and then like storms out all like confident yeah and then she she ends up walking 
uh, Kate Hudson down the aisle, like, like when she was a kid, uh, and then hands her off to be married because also her happy ending is that, uh, Kate Hudson's brother in the movie is like shoehorned into the last third of this movie as her new romantic interest. Uh, cause he's caring. Right. I mean, it feels very contrived because you can't her. end the movie with Anne Hathaway, like not getting married because, you know, her whole arc is about always being second best to Kate Hudson, yeah. which is weird. Because she's Anne Hathaway. Um, but uh, I mean, I think it made more sense in 2009, but. Fair. Right. But in retrospect, it's like, oh, okay, weird. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so you can't end it like that. So you have to just like throw her a bone in some way. But that's why it should have just been that they kept Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway get married. I know. But no, it ends with Kate Hudson marrying her husband. And then, like, it cuts to, like, one year later. And it's just a sequel setup. Um, but it could have literally been still a sequel setup if they're lesbians where they both get IVF. And then they're both pregnant at the same time. And it's great. Um, so that's that's my rewrite count. for Brides Wars. It would be a better movie. <laughs> yeah. Um... Did you watch Bridesmaids? Uh, no, but I feel like I know so much about it just through cultural osmosis. But this let's, one's let's... more of like a bridesmaidzilla, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. It doesn't even count, <laughs> right? Because I, I feel like it's 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 more of like the answer to like Hangover, but for girls, you know, rather than yeah. And it's 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 also very aimless and kind of not funny most of the time <laughs> just like the hangover just like um, the hangover um so yeah so so like those are those are the movies do we do we want to talk about the tv shows just like real fast yeah let's let's sort of blow through this stuff um the simpsons has an awful episode in like season 20 called wedding for disaster where Homer and Marge get re re remarried, and for mm -hmm. some reason this time Marge is obsessed with everything being perfect. Yeah, um, it doesn't make any sense. They have a literal line where they're like, "Marge, you're being a bit of a bridezilla," and she's like, "A bridezilla, a combination of bride and Godzilla." <laughs> Gasp! What are you there talking about? There are no about? jokes that are funny. They incorporate sideshow Bob for some reason. Ugh. Lots of confusing, terrible stuff happens, uh, and it's bad. Um, What's did next? You watch, uh, My Little Pony, <laughs> a Canterlot oh, yeah, wedding uh, part one. So I think this one's interesting because it's it's pitching the Bridezilla thing to kids, you know? Yeah. And it's also this very heteronormative sort of wedding where it's like the most feminine ever pony that you've ever seen, <laughs> Princess Cadence, who's, you know, pink and sparkly and everything. Uh, marrying like this hyper masculine pony, uh, the likes of <laughs> which we haven't seen. A Chad uh, pony, if you will. The Chad pony, and it's uh, the main character Twilight Sparkle's uh, older brother. Um, and the whole idea is it's like she's being really overprotective of her older brother and like doesn't want to lose him to another woman. It's very gross. That's very strange. <laughs> I, I hate every wedding uh, story that's about some family member being too protective of another family member because they're right. going to lose them to, like, 
a person who has a romantic well, the, relationship it, with it them. Keeps, it's yeah, so uncomfortable. It keeps being around because I think we're obsessed with like, you know, quasi incestuous, uh, you know, infatuation and, and relationships. Uh, you know, it, it's just something as a culture that, that we're very confused and angry about all the time. <laughs> so we keep making around. movies about it because we can't yeah. figure it out. But like the important thing is in this one, um, Cadence is being, a, you know, super rude to everyone and is like flinging things around and all the other ponies are making excuses for her saying uh-huh. like, no, no, it's OK. She's just dressed because of the wedding. And, oh, it's fine. You know, she was just being polite, you know, all all these excuses, um, which serve to reinforce those ideas for when these kids grow up and eventually get married. Uh, along with the fact that they should be, you know, have a beautiful princess wedding and everything should be sparkles and fun and, you know, fancy dresses and everything. Right. Um, but then it turns out that the reason that she's being so cold and unloving is because she's actually a shapeshifter. Oh, of course. Um, You know, an evil shapeshifter that's there to steal love away from others. So as it turns out, like... You know, she was a bridezilla. She was a monster. And it's this idea of like feminine dominance in a relationship, uh, you know, Is being evil. cruel and, and like you're almost siphoning the the strength and willpower of 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 your your partner um, right. feeding on it. Like it's the, the changelings. They feed on the love that you have for the person that they've replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, you know. <laughs> Uh, th- th- there's a, a, a scholar, um, Judith Halberstam, mm-hmm. who, uh, is famous for writing about Gothic, uh, horror literature, especially, you know, Frankenstein and Dracula. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, she, she talks a lot about how the feminine, you know, monster, uh, let me see if I can find the quote. Uh, she says the gothic monster is precisely a disciplinary sign, a warning about what may happen if the body is imprisoned by its desires or if the subject is unable to discipline him or herself fully and successfully. The monster encourages readers to read themselves and their own bodies and scan them for signs of devolution. So it's like this monster of femininity that is demanding and exceeding the boundaries that her gender is supposed to encompass her in. Right. And for that reason, uh, she's a monster and you know, her, her love isn't real and her emotions aren't real. Uh, they're just a function of pure evil. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on in, in my little pony (laughs) intentionally or unintentionally. And then it ends with an awful song about, a beautiful bride and a handsome groom (laughs) and just how that's really important and it's forever and it can never be broken and marriage is the most important thing in every girl's life so you know oh Oh, my little (laughs) for all like oh my little pony is great because it's an action show for girls well it also reinforces a lot of that you know stuff that that we tend to say no. Maybe maybe let's not reinforce this. Maybe let's have different do narratives. That. Yeah. All right. Do, um, do you want to talk about uh, Boy Meets World? Yeah. I never watched the show growing up. God, I love Boy Meets World. I can't tell if it's just nostalgia that makes me like it when I rewatch it, or if I do just genuinely still like it. But uh, there's something about it, man. 
Um, anyway, yeah. so, so, you know, long time lovers, Corey Matthew and, uh, Topanga are getting married finally. Uh, and, and this one, this one, it's a switcheroo because Corey's the groomzilla and freaks out and, you know, is, is stressing out and overthinking things in the ways that, you know, he, he normally does. And, uh, this honestly tracks for like the way the show usually works where, you know, Corey mm. is sort of the like goofy one who creates hijinks and Topanga is the like very feminist figure who's like above it all or, you know, is able to like outthink it. And like a lot of her feminism, you could definitely scrutinize pretty thoroughly. Um, but right. at least, at least, you know, in, in this trope, it's not the bridezilla, it's the groomzilla. Right, but I mean, she Topanga still exhibits a few minor bridezillish qualities that are kind of you know glossed over because they're sort of expected. Like she picks a really ugly bridesmaid dress that all of her bridesmaids hate, mm -hmm. but they all sort of bow to her will because she's you know the, the bride. bride and it's her special day. Uh, she tackles a few people. <laughs> That's true. That's true. She does <laughs> enact some physical violence uh, right. during. But, but you, yeah, definitely during. Corey is the the main Zilla of the episode. Of the Zilla, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't have a ton to analyze here. It's just well, they did a gender it, switch. It seems interesting because for a lot of the um, a lot of the female examples of Bridezilla's you'll see that there's uh, usually like, it's not explained why they go so far. Like it's just sort of assumed that they would, right. or there's some supernatural explanation for it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when a boy does it, there's a very literal plot reason why it's happened because, you know, Corey is sending his best man, Sean on all these tasks specifically because he's, uh, you know, worried that, they'll have to talk about how their friendship is going to change post-marriage. Um, right. So it's very like explicitly spelled out as opposed to the Simpsons where Marge is just a, a bridezilla because she is. And right. in, you know, uh, a Cantalette wedding in My Little Pony because Cadence is literally a shape-shifting monster demon there to steal <laughs> your manhood. Um, right. <laughs> Uh, but let's let's see if that pattern holds. Uh, what what about Gilmore Girls? Well, I, I sort of want to talk about Gilmore Girls and Sabrina the Teenage Witch in like kind of the same breath, um, sure. because both of these are examples where the the bride only becomes a bridezilla uh, after like pressure from an outside source. So like in... specifically though from an older woman, it's she's yes. a symbol of like classical femininity right. um, which might which might serve to to pervert her modern sensibilities right um something that's more conservative or traditional uh so in the case of gilmore girls when um sookie played by melissa mccarthy um is planning her wedding uh lorelei's mother emily um, sort of like starts stepping in and it's just sort of excited to like plan a wedding. And she, she does like high class event planning as like her day job, basically. 
Um, you know, like she just plans galas and balls and fancy dinners all the time. So she's, she's got all of these preconceived ideas about what an ideal wedding should be. And Sookie sort of gets like caught up with this, um, and is planning this like wildly extravagant, like totally expensive wedding with all of these things that she doesn't really need or even necessarily want. And that like her fiance feels, starts to feel really cut out of the loop because, you know, she's being told by this older, impressive woman who does this all the time that, oh no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know what I'm talking about. And you should just well, listen to me. This episode, I feel like, is the most out of any of the things that we've watched about class. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a class element to all of these things, the, the, the pursuit of fancy things, the pursuit of style and taste Mm -hmm. but gilmore girls is the most about class i mean in every episode but also in this episode (laughs) in particular yes definitely in this one um and you know eventually like lorelei sort of like gives her a little bit of a reality check and then there's some tension between the two of them there because like you know sometimes you have to give your friends a reality check but it's never pleasant uh and, uh, you know, eventually she she sort of calms down um, and, you know, talks with her fiance and realizes that, like, there are certain things from the wedding that she was talking about with Emily that she does feel like she really wants and would like to include. But a lot of it gets scrapped um, and, you know, it, it all turns out fine, basically. Uh, right. So so that's Gilmore Girls. And then similarly, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. Um, you know, she's following the advice of Cinderella, like a classic fairy tale example of true love and marriage. And um, so, you know, Sabrina, because it's a comedy with magic, she turns into a literal <laughs> bridezilla uh, and, you know, breathes fire and, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this one also, I th- this one is the supernatural explanation, whereas the one before, even though it was like a rational explanation that that Emily was the one, you know, sort of taking Suki and, and, you know, perverting her desires for this class-based wedding. Um, It was still sort of assumed that Suki would just sort of go along with that because women and capitalism, the way that they mix is through extravagance and women uh, be shopping. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's the, it was the basic fear, you know, of, of women getting into the workforce and, and, and all of that stuff is that, when women interact with capitalism, it's in a an overconsumptive or you know dangerous sort of way. Um, so so I, I like Gilmore Girls also did not provide like a real character explanation for why Suki was going no. along with all this. No, um, it's I... just sort of assumed that that's what women do. And then same thing for <laughs> Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It's a clearly supernatural explanation for right. why she's gone bridezilla. Well, and I think also going back to um, um, the quote you had before about, like, you know, (laughs) talking about literal monsters and, like, femininity, uh, like, she turns into a literal monster. Like, you know, it's a very clear parallel of, like, don't be the dragon. Be be, better than that. There's this essay by... Um, there's this essay by uh, Alyssa Ann Samick uh, called Domesticating Matrimonial Monstrosity, Bridezillas and the Narratives of Feminine Containment. Um, Damn, that's a slap in title. 
Yeah, I mean, that kind of says it all, doesn't it? Um, I don't even really need to quote it, but he says, uh, Bridezilla's used the monstrous to teach audiences about the boundaries of gender propriety, power, and threats associated with feminism. So in this case, you know, it's uh, Sabrina's desires for to be a princess, to be, which is this, you know, total expression of feminine power, being a princess. Um mm. And she's punished for it by becoming a monster, having a physical transformation of the lower half of her body into a dragon and right. becoming destructive and fire breathing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, for sure. This is um, this is something that someone named Douglas uh, describes as enlightened sexism. Okay. Um, which is the idea that you resurrect like old female tropes and say, it's okay for me to use these tropes because I'm doing it ironically because, mm. you know, look at all the progress that we've made with feminism. So now it's okay for me to do a Bridezilla episode kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. Some people also call this post-feminism. Uh just you know the idea that yeah well why can't we show like a woman being flighty and uh you know prone to excess all uh, right well it's because it still continues to reinforce these <laughs> notions right right and then she's uh f physically tamed by her uh fiance who they describe it as uh, slaying the dragon but it's more like taming the shrew uh, yeah. the way that I see it is yeah. he's just like I'm not going to take none of your guff woman you know we're doing this my way you know it's not just your day it's our day and then like as he's doing that she's going like oh what a strong man and then her tail <laughs> how assertive shrinks. keep being yeah, assertive and putting me in my place and I'll be less monstrous it's very uh oh um, <laughs> it's very no likey um <laughs> And, like, it's the sort of thing where, where it's hard, I think, on the face to necessarily disagree with these things because, you know, like, like to just go back to reality for a second, we look at these things right. and we go, the way you're acting isn't good for a society, you know? You're not being uh, considerate of others and, you know, you're perverting what this day is quote-unquote supposed to be about which is about the union of two people and not just one person but it, it fails to interrogate the reasons like why that's happening and then so it ends up with all right. of these like unfortunate implications that that we started exactly. talking like, about the problem always with the women is that they're commercializing love and that yeah. they're focusing too much on fake things like right or you know all these symbols of class only their wants and not their partners. But like, but this is literally the only socially acceptable way for women to express, you know, luxury right. in under capitalism. I mean, especially if you're lower class, like yeah. there's no other acceptable way to do it. You can't go out and buy a Mercedes Benz because you're having a midlife crisis. You can't do that. <laughs> you right. know, men traditionally, like they hold all the power uh, financially in a relationship and so the woman is forced to you know use this day as a you know as a, a what cudgel do you call it? against that yeah. shield <laughs> exactly so um, uh, just a few more examples right so yeah. uh, we've got scrubs anything to say about scrubs yeah this is one where simultaneously I think it's like women are crazy but that's 
because like that's Elliot's entire character in Scrubs is that she's a crazy sure. like a uh, woman who's like a perfectionist and blah 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 and like that's why she's so good at being a doctor because she's a perfectionist but it makes her her personal life is crazy because you can't be a woman and have it all wah, wah. like you know that's Scrubs <laughs> that that's Scrubs take on Elliot. Uh, so, yeah. you know, when she gets, like, engaged and then the ring's too small and blah, 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 like, you know, she freaks it out and, and makes him, like, repeat the whole, uh, like, proposal again. And then, like, you know, for the rest of the the engagement um, where, you know, she's getting ready to get married and all this other stuff, you know, she's she's nitpicky and demanding and all of this other things that, quote, unquote, makes her a great doctor, but causes problems in her personal life whoops yeah so that's scrubs hot take (laughs) on the trope super hot Uh, um buffy Buffy. the vampire slayer another supernatural example where you know the the demonic rage is because she's an actual demon uh it's anya getting married to xander Mm -hmm. god i hate everything about these two characters (laughs) I mean, if if anything, you know, uh, symbolizes post-feminism, you know, like enlightened sexism, I think it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I mean, as absolutely. much as it did to progress things, like, it seems to be under the impression that as long as you make her a badass, you can have her do any Say number do of, anything. you know, sexist sort of tropes about, t- you know, right. femininity and, and teenage flightiness. And I mean, like... Like, if there's also any couple that just absolutely epitomizes, one sucks, but epitomizes (laughs) one heteronormativity, but also Joss Whedon's views about heteronormativity, it's fucking Anya and Xander, you know? like Go go into more detail about that. Elaborate. Your wife is a literal demon who, like... (laughs) most of the time is nice enough to you, but like you bicker, but that's what makes it hot. You know, like that's, that's the romance is the bickering. And well, it's so Chandler. Um, the other one, Monica. it's so Chandler, Monica too. Xander is such a, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) Cause Xander is just such a, you know, a, a a jokester, you know, a cynical sort of uh, douchebag. <laughs> douchebag. Douchebag. Sorry, That's have, what I was looking for. I, I have Hate no Xander. nice things to say about Xander. He's the worst character. He's so bad. Agreed. Uh, you know, and it's like, sure, Anya has demon powers, but it's like, yeah, but she's like a demon, and like it shows. You know, uh, and mm. and I think like this, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer is to. Uh, um, very bad things i think if we're gonna make some comparisons where you know like she's threatening to literally kill people like yeah well does do you have a quote uh well i see the one that you have written down here which is sort of the one that i was thinking of um where you know she's like (laughs) planning this marriage is like staging the invasion of normandy and (laughs) you know (laughs) which like stop like wedding planning is not that hard and it should not involve that many deaths, which yes, that's the joke. But then she goes on to say, uh, it's going to be our perfect, perfect day. If I have to kill every one of our guests and half this town to do it, you know, it's just like, 
Perfect. Like, blah. This, like, what more do you want? Um, so that's Buffy. <laughs> Not a good take. That's Buffy. Let's talk about 30 Rock. So this is for contrast, because I, I want to put some contrast, because you can, like any trope, you can twist it, and if you twist it hard enough, it'll snap, and then you'll get a brand new kind of trope. Um, so this opens sort of with Liz <laughs> deciding to get married to, again, James Marsden, perfect rom-com <laughs> perfect. love interest, um, specifically because they just want to adopt a kid, and you know Liz has always wanted a kid. That's her arc for, throughout the entire show. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she isn't able to do it because... She's she can't you know have kids with uh, James Marsden, and uh, she is is having trouble adopting because of her high stress job. Um, right. But if they get married, they get a bump up on the list. Um, so they were like, well, let's just go you know down to City Hall, get married. It's just a piece of paper. It doesn't matter to me. And Liz is staging this you know feminist rebellion against the institution of marriage mm-hmm. um but uh basically throughout the episode um well oh and she also references uh a, a show on bravo that she calls wedding bitches <laughs> where you know it, it cuts to bravo and she's like you know <laughs> maybe there's not gonna be a wedding uh if you can't take this seriously um which is classic and then liz ends up repeating that Later in the episode, after um, Chris is sort of bullying her into, like, you know, telling him what she actually wants her wedding to be like. Yeah. Uh, you know, they go down to City Hall and it turns out everyone there is actually being really romantic. They're, they're not just there for a piece of paper. They really care about the wedding and the marriage. They just, you know, are poor and you know have to get married there. And yeah. so, you know, Liz then feels inadequate and jealous of their you know, marriages because she does want to be a princess, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and it's not framed as a negative at all that she starts to demand more from her wedding. In fact, the thing that's framed as negative is the fact that she's unwilling to accept the things about herself that she considers, uh, you know, negative because of her internalized misogyny. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then like doesn't it but then you know like it's a comedy so it goes too far you know like right. she like it she does start crying and freaking out over like things not going perfectly and so you know the the resolution is it's sort of you got to meet halfway in the middle kind of right so they do still get married at city hall and but they have uh instead of rings they have uh, jewelry from a police auction for some people who got shot in the park where they first met. <laughs> and, um, you know, I- instead of wearing a-, a beautiful wedding dress, Liz She's wears princess a Princess Leia. Leia outfit, which is so iconic her. Liz Lemon yeah. that it makes it her perfect day, even though everything's wrong with everything's wrong with the, the wedding. All you right. know, they're at City Hall. Um, None of their family or friends are there except for uh, Jack Donaghy, who's reading uh, a passage from Atlas Shrugged. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that part. <laughs> and, um, oh my God. Uh, you know, Dennis is Dennis Duffy is there. Liz's <laughs> ex-boyfriend on and off again, on again, off again, ex-boyfriend who's yeah. the worst character, but also the doesn't best he character. Have like, doesn't he have like eight kids now or something like that? 
No, Wait. he just adopted a kid <laughs> oh, who he named was... Black Dennis. Oh my god. <laughs> Which is a total de- Dennis thing to do. It's Dennis um, and his son Black Dennis. Black Dennis. Um <laughs> uh yeah, it, it's one of the best episodes of the show. I, I really love the way 30 Rock ends specifically. Um mm-hmm. so having all of these things resolve with, you know, the conflict between raising a child and, you know, having a life and the conflict of Liz Lemon never being able to find and keep a man and mm-hmm. you know, just all of these things resolve in such a satisfying way because it's exactly the wedding you would expect from Liz Lemon. It's crazy chaotic uh you know but she also gets what she wants which is you know to be with uh james Cross, <laughs> which is james marsden's character um <sighs> who looks like a little marzipan candy man in a suit um and uh but but you know also to just have chaos and tony bennett there singing. yep 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 it's it's classic 30 rock it's classic liz it's it's very right. good um, and let's bring it home with Years of My's favorite show to talk about tropes from Community. Community. Yeah. We got Community's it. got one wedding episode. Uh, yep. And it's in the middle of a season, unlike a lot of these. Uh, so, yeah, sh- th- this is the second wedding of uh, Shirley and her ex-husband, played by Malcolm Jamal Warner, uh, or Bud from The Cosby Show. <laughs> um, and... Uh, you know, it's not that they want everything to be perfect. I just think this is a good example of like how wedding conflicts is not the same as Bridezilla. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be. I think Bridezilla is the easy trope that everyone goes to. Right. I mean, there's tons of other tropes that we could have picked. You know, there's, you know, the um, runaway bride, runaway groom. Mm -hmm. We didn't do those, even though some of these included runaway brides and grooms. Um, Right. Like there, there's and, a lot uh, of different rom-com tropes that are like tangentially connected to weddings. Um, right. Like, like there, Family brawls at, right. at weddings. Exactly. Um, uh, if there are any of those tropes that you guys are interested in, let us know. Uh, there's definitely a, a rich vein that we could tap into there. Um, but but yeah, let's, let's talk yeah. about what this episode is doing. This what one is, instead is, is actually about the conflicts of their relationship, which is <gasps> for some reason unique. Um, <laughs> and it's not like we're going to call off this wedding if this doesn't you know, go right. It's just literally like, no, this is just an argument that we're having and we need to resolve it, which is, um, you know, Shirley wants to, uh, you know, be the breadwinner for a change and, and start this sandwich business. And that's really important to her. Uh and uh, her ex-husband just wants everything to go back to to normal, and with him trying to make money at his stereo business, which <laughs> it's a stereo business in yeah. the two thousands, so it's not doing great. Yeah, there's no cold feet here. There's no minutia. Well, there, were, there was a. It's moment. about the fundamental things that broke apart their relationship in the first place. I I would say yes. There is a moment where there's like sort of cold feet where. Um, you know, uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner's character is, is saying, well, if things aren't going to go back to the way they were, why are we even getting remarried? You know? Um, so like there, there, right. there is that moment of doubt, but it's not like he like, right. but it's never, he never threatens to cancel the wedding. I think there's right. an important distinction there. Like he just says like, wait, why are we, you know, what's the point of, of marriage if it's not about, you know, 
making things back to normal, back to the way things were, etc. I, I think that's an important distinction that that's his concern, not I don't want to marry you because what if I don't love you? What if everything sucks? Like like uh, like Xander thinks. What if everything right. sucks? Oh my god! What if being married ruins my life? Uh, <laughs> a demon wife. Uh, yeah, Bang, no, like, zoom straight to the moon. That's that's not his worry, and and I think it's interesting because this is their like they've been married before, you know. Right. So so it truly is this return to quote unquote normalcy. Um, that, that he's after, but, you know, like Shirley brings up a lot of important points about how, is that really just what you want? Or like, do you want this to be like a true partnership this time? Cause like, I've had time to think and I don't know if I want to exactly. do this, if that's not what's going on. Um, and, and it's contrasted with, uh, Britta, who's like the feminist proto-feminist, uh, of the show. Um, yeah. Who you know is always like is anti that she's marriage and all this stuff, and <laughs> yeah. she's really, really good at wedding planning and like crafting for weddings on a budget, basically. Uh, yeah, and it's, so it's the kind of conflict that you would expect from community, where you know a character yeah. who's been so firmly established starts to exhibit traits that are counter to your you know image of them, and then they start to feel self doubt about their role in the group and their place in life um well well that, now but, she's worried that she's gonna be like a perfect domestic wife right so, <laughs> Even so that's not what she would ever choose to do exactly so she's like it's in my dna i'm just like programmed by society to be an excellent wife um when really <laughs> she's just like good at at party planning um <laughs> and like meanwhile jeff is having like because he's asked to to speak at the wedding and he's like you know still traumatized by his own abandonment by his father as a child and and you know his his emotional trauma is brought up uh and he's like he's like i'll get married but then it'll all end terribly but it's destiny anyway so might as well so he and Britta are about to like drunkenly get married <laughs> and then like that's yeah. where the climax of the episode happens uh when like through speaking to jeff and Britta, shirley and her ex-husband have this conversation where they talk about what it actually means to be married you know it's not all these yeah, superficial... it's a classic a plot that's resolved through the b plot you right. know Which by dealing with great. the b plot you realize what your personal problems are in the a plot and then everything's solved and and then they get married yeah and it's, <laughs> and it's, it's sweet it's really sweet and it's really solid and and you know it I think it, it is a little bit of deconstruction of that bridezilla trope where it's like, listen, you don't have to be just because you're really good at planning a wedding doesn't mean you're going to be great at a marriage. And I think, you know, you can take exactly. the opposite of that away, too. It's like even if you're really bad at planning a wedding, you might have a great marriage. Exactly. Um, yeah. So t to wrap up, I mean, what we're really dealing with here is the wedding industrial complex which is a massive industry. It's a uh, $53 billion a year industry as of like 2013. Um, you know, for contrast, funerals are 14 and a half billion uh, a year. So, you know, I mean, for sure, several people get married 
you know, you, you, can, you can get married more times than you have a funeral, but <laughs> yeah. it's still a lot more money that you're spending on that, uh, on that wedding. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not that we're saying we're you dealing should have $30,000 funerals. Right. The, the mere idea that we have these white weddings where everything must be perfect, everything must be expensive, the woman is the princess, none of this stuff is like inherent. All of this stuff is constructed to sell things. Right. Um, and we didn't really talk that much about say yes to this dress, but like <laughs> the amount of pressure that Randy puts on all of these people to pick more expensive, more ridiculous, uh, extravagant dresses with all these alterations is like kind of creepy to watch. I mean, I don't know that I agree with that. I think people okay. come in there. I, I think... You know, a lot of their job is dealing with, or or at least the way it's framed and the way I've always sort of read the show is is it's, you know, people are sold this idea of what a wedding should be and they come in with those preconceived notions. And then when reality doesn't match up to that, they go through 30 different dresses and then they discover that the dress they actually want is $8,000. But they can't afford that. And so then they, but he says things like, is this the dress that you're looking for? Okay. Is it everything you're looking for? Like that to me is, you know, sort of strange. It's like trying to marry the dress. Mm, you know? Yes. It's well, like, this I mean... is the dress that you're stuck with for the rest of your life. Well, no, it's just for one day. Yeah. I think, I think, I think you're kind of right. I mean, it is a day where you will be most likely highly photographed. <laughs> um, of course. Yeah. So it's an important dress for sure. Um, but, you know, it's 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 not the same as buying a quinceanera dress. Uh, you know, it's not the same as buying like a prom a prom dress. Wait, how is it not the same? Well, it's, it's elevated, you know, like when oh, you're buying oh. a prom dress, sure, you do look around and you, you know, you shop yes. like you do. But, you know, I people wear, have really silly, goofy prom dresses and no one bats an eye. But the the wedding dress is supposed to be something that is timeless, eternal, unique, special, uh, expensive, yeah. tailored, perfect fit, perfect body, my, perfect everything. <laughs> my favorite, uh, my favorite, like tack-ons to like say yes to the dress episodes are ones where they're like most unconventional crazy dresses and it's like half the time it's just like it's just like it would be a normal dress anywhere else but because it's classified as a red wedding dress it's now ten thousand dollars and it's just like <laughs> just go buy a prom dress you know and like right or, or and like I think in in one of the the Bridezilla's episodes, one of the women literally has yeah. to order a quinceanera dress because none of the other dresses live up to her expectations. They, none of them make her feel like a princess enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, you know, uh, it, it's hard in the moment to interrogate these feelings. I think that we have, especially when society keeps saying, "No, make a Pinterest board, make another one, right. plan your wedding right. dream book." You know, like there's a lot of pressure to succumb to that. And I think, you know, like the which 30 is a capitalist rocket... pressure. I mean, yeah. Pinterest exists and makes money because people are pinning businesses that they mm -hmm. will later purchase from, and other people see that, and it's free advertising. Yeah, you know. That's 
That's why the, that business model works is because everyone's planning their dream wedding and everyone's looking and seeing, oh, that's an amazing Halloween wedding dress. I'm going to pin that one. Oh, right. wow. You know, that fountain is like so fucking cool. And it's it's just strange that our culture has created this idea of dream wedding to kind of begin with, you know? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it all dates back. You know, it exists because like i mean it used to be these were religious rituals but mm-hmm. uh you know by the gilded age which was called the gilded age because it was gilded <laughs> it was just gold flakes on top of mica or you know some bullshit all right uh, it, you know it's all to cover up it's all to cover up a lack which is actual luxury and fulfillment in life mm-hmm. you know yeah if yeah. people were able to experience luxury and, you know, to not feel so less than because they're not as classy as Jeff Bezos, you know. <laughs> right. Like, maybe we wouldn't put so much stock into, you know, the wedding as a, a, a class signifier. And same goes for, you know, if women had more power e- economically, financially in a relationship, maybe they wouldn't feel the need to do all their spending at once. Right. Or or you feel know, like this spend. is this is the one day where I get to be in charge of the relationship, you know. Exactly. Why not everyone's in charge of every relationship? <laughs> right. You know, everything is mutually uh, you know, talked about and considered and everyone's feelings are considered at all right. times. Right. Um so yeah, I th- I think we've pretty thoroughly covered brides yeah. and bride like we said this is a tough one it ended up being a really long one yeah um well well we hope you really you enjoyed it you know that, that's all yeah. i can say and and you know let us know um you know if, if you have a different interpretation of this trope uh we're you know always willing to talk at uh at talking tropes on twitter um you know we also just love any support and love that you can give us <laughs> Yes, we love you your know, support and love. Uh, we're, if, if, we're not getting married anytime soon. We're no. we're married to the pod. Married to the grind. That's another <laughs> kind of capitalism. Um, all right. See you next time. Bye, guys. Hasta la vista.